This is Yoriko in Okinawa, Japan. You're listening to I Love This, You Should Too with Indy Randhawa and Samantha Hees. I love this. You should too. A podcast with Indy. Hi, Indy. Hello. <laughs> and Samantha, which is me. How are you doing, Indy? I am hopefully doing a little better. I still have my very injured back, but luckily now I'm on all sorts of medicine for it and I might fall asleep during this episode. Ooh, so exciting. Yeah, that'll be the, the real suspenseful part of this. Will he fall asleep? Who knows? Ooh, it's like a mystery. Yeah. Um, and your muscle relaxants, are they kicking in yet? Um, I can kind of move my shoulders now, That's so good. they must be working a little bit. It's better than you were yesterday. Yes, it is. Rolling over is impossible. Yeah, it is. Oh. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. We're having a lazy Saturday of podcasting and movies, and I'm drinking some, some beer. We're drinking the... Unibrew FMR Blueberry today. Yeah, so we're mixing it up from our last one. I prefer, I think, rhubarb, then strawberry, then cherry, then pear, then blueberry. So what are we doing here today, Indy? What's the point? What is the point? What is the <laughs> point of any of this? All we do here is age and get closer to our inevitable death. I mean, on the podcast. What are we doing on the podcast? Oh, on the podcast. <laughs> on the podcast. How this works is we take turns bringing a movie to the other person. For instance, I introduced Edward Scissorhands to you last time. It's something that you haven't seen. But now we've both watched it. I've watched it again. And we are going to talk about it. So join me, won't you? We're on our trip back to 1990 in a world where Johnny Depp and Tim Burton are just getting started. Tim Burton's made a few good movies. Johnny Depp has really just been in a TV show, A Nightmare on Elm Street. But they meet together, and it's love at first sight. They're going to make all sorts of things that get progressively worse through the years. <laughs> but here they are making a big, stylized, romantic, kind of fantastic comedy where it's a character who is pretty much a mix of Frankenstein's monster and Jesus. And with all of this... Big studios gave them a lot of money, which is a thing that probably wouldn't happen so much today. No. If you'd have some Robert Smith-looking scissor-handed man in a comedy. Sam is using scissors right now. Hopefully it actually sounds like scissors to you. I hope so. Not just clicking. So, after watching this for the first time, I have a question for you. So, I, of course, love this movie. Did you? I really liked it. I'll take really like. I don't know if I'm ready to go to love. Maybe you can convince me by the end of this podcast. That's what I'm here for. But I really liked it. Um, I forgot how much I enjoy Tim Burton's visual style. Um, it reminded me a lot of um, Nightmare Before Christmas. And I really love the look of that movie as well. So I um, really loved the opening credits for that because it really set the scene. And it reminded me just how much I love Tim Burton's older stuff. Yeah, in this movie, he's really at peak Tim Burton. He's really burtoning it up. And really burtoning all over the place. He's not being held back by being a part of some larger franchise or trying to fit into something. He's really doing his own thing, and I think it's I think it's pretty beautiful. Yeah, I really liked it. Like I said, 
as we ask every time someone introduces a movie that they loved like 10 years ago, did it hold up for you? You know what? It did. I was really scared going into this one because all of the Tim Burton movies I'd seen in the last 10, 15 years, I have not liked at all. And whenever something like that happens, the first thought is that I've outgrown it. It's something that appealed to me as a child Mm -hmm. and I've matured and I don't find it impressive anymore. But that wasn't the case with this. Uh, Edward Scissorhands is still a, a great movie. It's something that you should all watch. And I guess it's just Tim Burton who is kind of losing some of that charm, some of that style, some of that expertise in using his visual imagery like he used to do because his new stuff is is not great. Mm -hmm. But the old stuff still holds up. So I, I was very happy to see that. And it was still very charming. It was way funnier than I remembered. I <laughs> laughed laugh a lot. quite a few times. Yeah, it's... And you know what? Johnny Depp was great in he it, was, too. He was. He was. I kind of forget that he was a good actor at one point. Because now he's now just, he's like just a, a... pirate all the time? Yeah, he's a caricature of himself. Yeah. It's the same thing like I always complain about with De Niro and Pacino and Tim Burton. All of these great people have become impressions of themselves and bad impressions at that (laughs) i don't ever want to get to the point where i'm a bad impression of myself (laughs) (laughs) so for the people who haven't seen it which first of all just go watch it it's great what happens in this movie well uh there's a character named edward who has scissors for hands Mm -hmm. he lives alone in a castle where he used to live with his creator um, and one day the Avon lady comes and adopts him into her home and takes her into her very suburban neighborhood. And he basically becomes a celebrity amongst the people who live in the neighborhood. And then he has a misunderstanding and becomes the enemy of the neighborhood. And, um, he basically just has to work his way out of that. Yeah, that sums it up pretty nicely. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a movie that if you go plot point by plot point in more detailed, it sounds silly, but it is really a, it's a fairy tale more than anything. Yes. And I I really liked that aspect of it, that it didn't take itself too seriously. It wasn't a very literal movie. No. It's a movie that if you sit and go like, well, that wouldn't happen. This isn't the movie for you. This is about the idea, about these kind of archetypes and about... The human experience, I guess. Yeah. Uh, So, Andy, do you have a favorite part of this movie? I think what I think about first when it comes to this movie is that this was my first cinematic experience where I saw a style by a director that I could recognize. Mm -hmm. After seeing uh, Nightmare Before Christmas when I was eight or nine, whenever it was, and I saw this after... This was the first time that I recognized, I guess, auteur theory, that a director is the creator, is the artist. And before that, I never really thought about directors. Mm-hmm. So even as a kid, Tim Burton's style here is so so apparent, so well-constructed, and so in his own style mm-hmm. that it was the first time where I could be like, that's a Tim Burton movie. I can tell who made this by looking at it. And as a child, it's not something that you know automatically. So I think that's my favorite thing about it is it's great for someone who maybe isn't a big film fan to understand what auteur theory is and about how one man is kind of at the helm of a movie. 
which is pretty much the opposite of the movies like the the MCU movies we were talking about last yes. week, where you anyone could make that. Yes. This is a Tim Burton movie. And I really understand what you're saying. What's your favorite part about it? I had a favorite line, which was, cookies can't buy you the necessities of life. And then you looked at me and you're like, but cookies are your necessity of life. Yes. Um, I think my favorite part was when Edward was really exploring the house for the first time. Oh, yeah. And trying to figure out how, like, clothing works and how her bed worked Mm -hmm. and, like, water beds and scissor hands don't mix. That's true. Um, I I, I really enjoyed the childlike kind of... Wonder. Wonder that he had exploring that house for the first time. I loved when he comes into the house and we see it and it's a small television, an ugly couch yeah. and a beige carpet. And, and it's like, not this impressive. This is amazing. And the look on his face and how Danny Elfman's score comes up. Yeah. It makes it seem like he is looking upon the most beautiful thing because it's so different for him. I really did enjoy that part, I do. Too. I love the childlike wonder that they give him pretty much throughout the entire movie. I mean, he gets a little bit more worldly towards the end when he's trying to plan a business and that kind of thing. Right. But I think that that first scene where he's really experiencing life in the suburban neighborhood is, is wonderful. What's your least favorite part? I pretty much like everything about this movie. Yeah. But if I had to pick a least favorite part... The kind of bully villain boyfriend played by Anthony Michael Hall mm-hmm. is a little bit too much. Right. I get that it is archetypes and it is over the top. Yes. And everything is kind of filtered through both Winona Ryder's character's memory and Edward's experience. So yes. the bad people are going to be extra bad. Yeah. I wish there was a little more nuance to it, perhaps. Mm-hmm. It's small and it's nitpicky, so I don't mind it how it is because... Him playing it as just a complete asshole villain, it kind of works because it's a fairy tale, really. Well, and she seems so pure and like almost childlike as well. So having the opposite to her is is kind of kind of nice. Yeah, and it's weird. I don't know if you're familiar with Anthony Michael Hall. No, but he throughout the '80s plays the nerd character who always gets beaten up and who never gets the girl. Oh, that's funny. In all of those John Hughes '80s movies, right? And now he's gotten a lot taller. He's kind of bulked up and he's playing the bully. Mm-hmm. So I bet he loved to do it. Cause oh, I he's... bet. It's not something that he doesn't regularly get to do. Yeah. Yeah. So he really went for it and he was just chewing the scenery in that one. But it's a nitpicky thing, but I would have liked to have seen maybe a different actor in that role. Yeah. What's your least favorite part? Um, I think when the uh, neighborhood lady tries to seduce Edward, because oh, it yes. just felt so out of place with the rest of the movie. One of the things I really liked about the movie was um, that they didn't ostracize him because he was different. Mm-hmm. They ostracized him because something that he did was perceived as scary. Yes. Which is great. Like, I really like that. But I felt like having the women chase after him like that was just taking it a step too far yeah that one woman who takes him to the back of their potential beauty parlor and just jumps on top of it yeah i did not enjoy that nor did i think that it was like useful in the movie i get what you're saying i think it just kind of was another part to show how childlike and not of this world that he was that when something happens like that he 
reacts with a bit of fear and then just kind of says like, oh yeah, and she took off her clothes and he just doesn't know what to make of it. Right. So like we both said, the first thing that you're going to notice about this movie is how stylized it is. And how about the score, the music? Were you a fan? I was a fan. I don't think I noticed it quite as much as other movies I've watched. Mm. But I did felt, I, then I, I feel like if I didn't notice it quite as much, it really lent itself to the overall like mood of the film. Oh, okay. Without like hitting me over the head with it. Right. I always feel that this is on the verge of too heavy handed, but I still love it because I love oh. Danny Elfman. It's so much and all the time and it's especially loud. It doesn't really just underscore things. It, it tells the story itself. Oh. And I'm just a huge Danny Elfman fan. Like everyone of my age probably is the, a lot of those movies he was making throughout the 90s were were great and his scores were iconic are you familiar with him at all danny elfman mm-hmm. i know he's made music for a film that i liked well he did pretty much every tim burton one so if it's one of those it was probably him right uh, nightmare before christmas he actually did the singing for jack too oh really so he was the singing voice uh beyond that he did uh the Spider-Man, the Tobey Maguire movies. He did Big Fish. Well, that's another Tim Burton. Coraline. Did I did some... like Coraline. Yeah. Was that Tim Burton? No, it wasn't. Oh, okay. And then he also has done a lot of theme songs for TV shows or movies that okay, you know. Okay, like maybe that's where I know him from. The animated Batman. The Simpsons theme is Danny Elfman. Maybe that's where I know his name from because I feel like it's in the credits. You see it yeah. every time, even though yeah. he doesn't. I think it's like Elf Clausen does the music during the episode. Yes, but, but the, he, theme is the theme is Danny Elfman. And I like him, especially when we're talking about the Marvel movies of how you don't notice the score at all. Although yeah. I think Danny Elfman might have worked on one of the Marvel movies, maybe Age of Ultron, but that doesn't matter because when he is allowed to do what he wants, he makes these very... Like, whimsical is a phrase that's used too much with movies like mm-hmm. Tim Burton's, but that's the best way to describe yes. it. Yes. They're really whimsical, they're playful, they're fun, and it sets the tone perfectly for this fantastic world that, that Burton makes. Mm-hmm. I agree. Now I feel bad for not noticing the music as much. I, I'm kind of surprised because it's so apparent to me. Hmm. And like I said with Tim Burton, Danny Elfman was the first composer that I could recognize. Mm-hmm. I remember going and seeing the Spider-Man movie in theater. And it's not something that I'd associate with someone like Danny Elfman. But as soon as that first theme started, I was like, is this Danny Elfman? <laughs> and it, it, sure enough, it was. Yeah. That's how I know that you're like a movie nerd. Is that you can recognize, like, composers. He's an easy one to recognize. Once you hear some more of it, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that's clearly him. The big ones, like John Williams, you can always tell it's him. Uh, James Newton Howard is a maybe kind of newer, and he's someone that you can always recognize as well. But let's stop talking about them, and let's go into the visual style of this movie. So it worked on you as well as it did for me? Yes. Yeah, I I felt... um... Maybe not nostalgia, but I felt very comfortable with the images that I was seeing as the opening credits rolled, just because I recognize it, and it's something that I like associate good feelings with, like Nightmare Before Christmas. This is a movie that, perhaps if it came out now, I wonder if I'd be more critical, because, oh, conformist suburbia, how original. But somehow it just works in this. It has a charm to it, and... 
this big giant castle that's looming over the mm-hmm. town. It was funny and it absolutely works. And I wonder if this was a new movie, if I would be more critical, but because I grew up with it, I yeah. don't get that. But it, it all just, it all just works for me. I think because it sets itself up as that fable or fairy tale that you can do things like that. You can mm-hmm. make good people really good, bad people really bad. And it doesn't seem to be hitting you over the head as much. Right. Like this man is bad. Yes. This woman is good. I agree. Uh, I think that, like we talked about earlier, the childlike quality really, it doesn't feel like too much because it's such a fantastic world and it it's mm. really like unlike anything that you would see, but also still very familiar. Yeah. And it's kind of timeless because yes. you could look at this movie and be like, oh yeah, it's in the 50s, but also maybe it's in the 80s. Maybe it's 1990. Maybe it's, it's now. It's just yeah. suburban America. Yes. Which is its own character yes and it's also you could argue that it's all filtered through edward's point of view Mm -hmm. because to him all of these people would look so similar all of these houses would look all the same yes because he doesn't know what he's used to yeah he's coming from this world of black and white this castle german expressionist film and into suburbia where everything's pastels and bright And it makes sense that when it's filtered through his point of view, everything would be a little more enhanced. Yes. And I feel like the bright, bright colors and the fact that like he's never seen most of this stuff. It's very foreign to him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about Edward for a minute. Let's. (laughs) Um, He was younger than I thought he would be. I guess. How old is he? I guess he's... If he were human, he would be kind of like a teenager, late teens. Yeah, I don't know why I expected him to be older. Maybe because I know Johnny Depp now. Right. Um, as an actor, he is an older man. Or he's just a cloud of cigarette smoke and bad hats. And eyeliner. And scarves. Um, but I, 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 for some reason, and I have no reason for thinking this, I thought he'd be a little bit older than he was. Mm-hmm. But it really goes well with Winona Ryder being like a 16 or 17 year old girl she's a senior so she'd be like 17 one thing i really enjoyed watching him do is mimicking the things that people around him did that's one thing i loved i wrote that down as well like johnny depp's performance of someone who doesn't understand these social cues but is trying so hard so anytime uh peg played by diane wiest the mother who is great i love she's her fantastic yeah i really liked her when she would smile and nod at him he would kind of do the same thing and he was always parroting back these things like a child would do yes i enjoyed watching him kind of parrot all the men at the barbecue yes because this is probably one of his first experiences with a large group of men and with different men other than mr boggs and it was really funny to watch him like try and like hold himself and move like the other men and it was really it was cute. There's so many really small things that Johnny Depp is doing that are are fantastic. Mm-hmm. I thought about this movie before we rewatched it. I always thought Johnny Depp was great in it, but then thinking about it, it's like, well, how good could he be? Because he's not doing much. No, he has like 150 words in the entire script. It really. He is doesn't that like do, an exact number. I think it's 169. But he literally doesn't talk the entire time. Pretty much. And I thought, well, I must just have been a big fan back then. And I thought he was great. But watching it now, it is. It's a great performance. Yes. These small little things that he does are fantastic. So Harold Lloyd was a big silent movie actor. 
his inspiration is definitely evident here. Because in the silent movies, of course, it was a lot of facial expression. And more so than going the Charlie Chaplin route, he seems to be channeling Harold Lloyd a bunch because he has those kind of blank expressions, yep. those shocked expressions. And he's super cute, too. He is super cute. You kind of just want to give him a hug. There's so many times where he just makes a quick, like, one second facial expression. Mm -hmm. And you know exactly what he's feeling then. There's that moment where he finally gets to give Peg a haircut. And the pride on his face is so evident. Yes. Uh, when he drops the meat at the dinner table, he just kind of looks down. And the shame on his face is, it's so strong. You yes. can get exactly what he's feeling. And similarly, the fear when he sees that woman undressing in front of him. Yes, he's very scared. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Johnny Depp was once great. But just like my argument for so many actors who were great at one point and then do whatever they're doing now, they stopped being like normal people. Yes. So they're so out of touch with those kinds of emotions. So how could they possibly channel that? Yes. This is like the purest form of it because he's just doing one facial expression. And he's pretty much playing a child. He's yeah. the mental age of a child. Yes. And it's such pure, unadulterated emotion. And even unadulterated by any dialogue. So you get to see exactly what it is on his face. And mm -hmm. I wonder, like, the Johnny Depp of today... He's so far removed from anything like it's this. It's true. He's, he's almost... been rich for so long that he doesn't know what it's like. And he's it shows too in his much performances. facial expression now. Yeah. He's just doing impressions of someone all the time. Yes. Maybe he's doing impressions of himself back then. Yeah. Himself or... Jack Sparrow. Jack Sparrow is just a weird Keith Richards impression. And I also like how the movie kind of flips your expectations a lot. There is a scene where he, a man with scissors for hands, is in the bed of a teenage girl. She comes in and starts undressing. And we've seen that scene in horror movies all the time. Yes. But it's the reverse because he's there and he's terrified of her. Yes. So you see him pulling his hands closer and closer up to him before she screams and then he freaks out. Yes. And after that, he's just kind of a sopping wet mess and he's <laughs> all terrified. He's almost trying to like cover his eyes at yeah. that point. Yeah. Like he's like, I know I probably shouldn't be seeing this and I'm scared of her mm -hmm. and I have no idea what's going on. And similarly, when he's introduced to this community... You would think in a movie like this, in a kind of a Frankenstein monster scenario, that everyone would instantly be scared of him or hate him. But that's not how it's played at all. They're very curious, mm -hmm. and the family is very welcoming to him. Yes, and the neighborhood is pretty welcoming to him as well. Yeah. Until they're Which scared Which makes of him. it all the more tragic when they turn on yeah. him. Yeah. I loved all the haircuts he gave. I love the little touch of how the people's dogs would look very much like the person yes, that they belong to. Yeah, and uh, the dogs also got haircuts. Um, I don't know if you noticed during the Christmas scene, there's a lady who has like present hair. Oh, I didn't see it's that. It's like one. wrapped like a present, and then yeah. she tied like a bow around it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's super funny. And how Diane Weist's hair just keeps getting shorter and shorter yes. once the, everyone turns on Edward and he has no other hair to cut. She wants to encourage him and she keeps getting more and more haircuts so her hair gets smaller and smaller. Yes. But she looks good the entire time. She does. She's, She's great. I think, uh, should we talk about this family? Because the family was a lot of fun. Yes. Let's talk about the bogs. The bogs is... So like you said, this could have been any time period. But it's very much a time period where the men went to work mm -hmm. and the women stayed home. And I thought it was really cute when the, um, I guess the husbands all came home. And so all the cars started driving into the neighborhoods and all the ladies scatter back to their houses. Yes. Um, 
I thought that was really cute. And um, I like that um, Mrs. Boggs has a job selling Avon. Yeah. It's interesting because all of these characters are very much archetypes and they could be from the 50s for instance Mm -hmm. and in a lot of movies when they do that and they're really playing up this suburban conformity and men's roles and women's roles Mm -hmm. you'd often see kind of a tyrannical man and a woman who is oppressed and like longing to get out of that but what the movie does is they take these archetypes to a to a different level at kind of a charming level no one's bickering or threatening. Everything's just taken to a nice place. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Alan Arkin's character. Alan Arkin, I love him. He was great in this too. He <laughs> plays the father. Yes. And he's so nice, really. Mm-hmm. But he's still very much that 1950s style man of like, yes. this is how things are. But he's still very accepting. It's taken to an extended height, but a nice version of it. Yes. Everyone's weird, but a nice weird. Yes. Especially in that family. Alan Arkin is so funny to me in this, how he just doesn't see anything wrong with it, except for like, oh, you're giving haircuts out for free? That's You shouldn't do that. Yeah. His, he was very funny with the life lessons he chose to teach his children. Yes. Um, where it's like, I feel like in the real world, you'd be teaching them like, don't shun people yeah. and like, be nice to your neighbors. It's like, you can't give things out for free. Yeah, I love his takeaways from all of the big problems in the movie. It's very funny. And then Peg, Diane Wiest, of course, mm-hmm. was was great. She's just such a mother figure. And as soon as she meets... Edward, that's her first instant instinct. You is should to come home with me. Mother him and treat him with Avon. And I love yeah. how the Avon continues throughout. throughout the entire thing. And she calls the head of the company and tries to figure out what she she's can so do. She's so proud for when she skin. talks to him. Yeah, that's super cute. And um, she's just, she never stops caring for him. Yeah, even the like kind of little bratty brother is not bad. No. He's even very accepting of Edward himself. Mm-hmm. He's. Of course, still a little boy and wants to take him for show and tell. But yes. he doesn't turn on Edward. He gives him the benefit of the doubt yeah. and doesn't see that there's anything like inherently wrong with yes. him. He he loves Edward. Like a brother who's in love with his sister. Maybe like a pet, but still there's Kind of there's like love a pet, yeah. yeah. So one thing I could have used a little bit more plot on was the love story between Kim and Edward. I feel like it went from going with him looking at the pictures on the mantle to him, like, being in love with her. Very true. Yeah, it does come on quick. But I kind of just chalk that up to it's literally the first woman of his kind of age that he's seen. It's kind of a fairy tale. And Mm. also it's... No more unbelievable than Romeo and Juliet, right? They True. are kind they of a meet, love at first they sight meet as once well. And yeah, it's kind of just a teenage thing mixed with a fairy tale thing. Yes. So if Belle can fall in love with a giant beast, like yeah, Edward could fall in love with a beautiful girl in a picture. True. I just felt like they they could have spent a little bit more time on that. That's true. I wish they had a couple more scenes together. A few more moments. Because she was with her boyfriend for most of the movie. Yeah, and it wasn't until he goes to jail for a little bit, and then she turns away from her boyfriend, starts paying more attention to Mm -hmm. Edward, and is very, very thankful to him. And I love the bit about um, how he knew whose house it was, and she goes, well, why'd you do it? And he just goes, because you asked me to. Yeah. And he's so simple. Yeah, I love very... him because he's so simple and he doesn't have any like ulterior motives other than to make her happy. Yeah. 
there's that one line that's still like I didn't think it would work, but it still killed me when she says, "Hold me," and he goes, "I can't." Oh, it was it was heartbreaking. I know because you as, can tell he really wants to. Because as a child, I saw that and thought like, "Oh, because he can't because he has knives for hands," but now you know like he can't because this world will not allow that. Yes, he's from another world and he doesn't belong here, and that's heartbreaking to know that society just won't let him be there. Mm-hmm. They won't let him exist, and ultimately, that's what happens. Damn you, society. Damn society. <laughs> How about the scene where, the iconic scene, where he's making his ice sculpture and the snow is falling. Yes. And she's dancing in the snow. So that was a scene that I had seen before. <laughs> that was a scene that I had seen. Uh, that was a scene that I had probably seen on the internet before. I've heard of the internet. Have you heard of the internet? Mm-hmm. It's this new thing. It's really cool. So I I knew what it was, but I didn't really know the context. And it was it was another really magical, almost childlike scene where she dances around in the snow. Did it work for you? Yeah, I liked it. So this one, very melodramatic, very stylized. She's literally dancing in snow that he's making from an ice sculpture. And it totally got me. Yeah. I could see how contrived this all is, and I didn't care. I no. loved it. And I think the Danny Elfman score was a big part of that part. Yes, I did like the music in that scene. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just magical. And being as cynical and as used to the conventions of film that I am, it's hard for me to get lost in something that is so contrived. But mm-hmm. this one, all over the place. Edward Scissorhands works for me that way. All over the place. So many things that are very apparent what the director's trying to do Mm -hmm. and i get where he's trying to manipulate me but i don't care it works it works well i also really like talking about the snow scene i really liked at the end when it flashes back to her as an older lady Mm -hmm. and she's like well i know he's still up there because it never snowed here before he went back to his castle yeah that's and now it does and i'm like fable he like she like knows he's there but knows that he's better off without her in the beginning of the framing story, when there's this old woman telling a story, did you know it was Winona Ryder at that point? I figured, but she doesn't take off her glasses until the end. Yeah. And then you really see that it's her. I remember the first time seeing it going like, that's her? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, the makeup's really good. Because nowadays we're used to old age makeup and like making people look younger through CG. It happens all the time. All the time, yeah. But this was in 1990. Yeah. I think they did a great job It was good it. makeup. Yeah. Good makeup. It's probably bulkier than it would have been today, but yeah. it, uh, it did a really good job of making her look older. And I may be wrong, but I believe the only Oscar nomination this movie got was for makeup. I think it was V. Neal, actually. She's on this reality show I like about oh, makeup. Cool. So this movie is very much a fairy tale and a fable. Do you have kind of a takeaway moral or a lesson that sticks with you from it? I feel like the lesson in this movie is to like treat people who are different from you the same as you would treat like your neighbors. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, different people are people too. Right. Yeah. But it goes so far that... What you actually kind of get is some people are just too unique to exist in our world. It's kind Mm -hmm. of what you get because they don't end up accepting him, right? And I think that's why this movie is so beloved by angsty teens all over the world and the biggest angsty teen Mm -hmm. of all, Tim Burton. Is he a forever angsty teen? Oh, he totally is. He's in this movie, it works, but I get it 
how often he does the I, there's this one misunderstood unique individual and they're too special for this world <laughs> he does that a lot because that's how he feels himself he grew up in the suburbs of Burbank and he was one of those people I believe that had a perfectly fine and normal life but he's like nobody gets me mm-hmm. and luckily he was able to do something great with that kind of angst yeah th- this movie is beautiful it is beautiful and I really like what he did with it but I could totally see him still being an angsty teen yeah even now nobody gets me nobody gets me nobody understands yeah He's just so quirky. <laughs> I really have a fear that Wes Anderson will become Tim Burton one day. Because mm. Wes Anderson is probably the other modern American director who has the most stylized movies, who you yeah. can just see a frame of it and know that it's a Wes Anderson I movie. I can recognize Wes Anderson movies. And he, it, they're still working for me. I hope he doesn't get to the point where he's doing his... Alice in Wonderland (laughs) kind of thing because Tim Burton was that and got away from it. I hope Wes Anderson doesn't go there. Mm, Yeah. What if Bill Murray turns into Johnny Depp? Oh my God. No, that'll never happen. Bill Murray's above everything. He's apparently a very nice guy. He's the greatest person ever. Oh, you heard it here. You know how I said uh, my top five favorite actors, Bill Murray is also in that top five. But let's talk about the other one that I mentioned, Vincent Price. Yes. So Vincent Price had a very small role in this. It was going to be bigger, but he was in such bad health that they, they couldn't shoot it. Right. And I think the shot of him dying is the last thing he ever shot. I don't know if you can get a more fitting end than that. No, that's that's such a lovely movie. And like he wasn't a huge role, but he played a really good role. Yeah. And seeing him there was it was sad for me because he's like one of my very favorites. It was it was tough. And like the way the shot of him dying, there's a lot of use of almost like direct full face point of view shots where the actor is looking almost directly into the camera. And we get to see that with Vincent Price and his face just kind of falls and then it cuts back to Johnny Depp and he kind of destroys those new hands that he was about to get. Yeah. And we see Vincent Price fall to the ground. And then Johnny Depp not understanding what, what is happening. Because later on he says that he went to sleep and didn't he wake didn't up. He didn't wake up, yeah. yeah. Which was so sad. It was. He didn't wake up was like... Because he just doesn't understand <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah, that really got me. I'm very glad this conversation I had with you isn't just like, well, what is Johnny Depp? Is he a robot? Is he a person? Because like, the, it doesn't matter. No, no. He's innocent is what matters. He's innocent. He's a child-like yeah. thing, being. So, Indy, what do you think the moral is? I don't know. Because it, it's hard to say. Like, what you said actually absolutely makes sense. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I always notice when I watch it, and I'm sure Tim Burton doesn't mean this, because Tim Burton doesn't care about minorities or <laughs> or people of other races. I think at one point he said that, oh, well, I don't cast black people in my movie because it's not my aesthetic. So I don't think he has any uh, political inklings that way. But watching the treatment of Edward just seems so much like the treatment of a new minority group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because at first, it's not just straight hatred. Like, she's scared at first. and like, oh, okay, whatever. But then when they're in the community, it's like, oh, this is new and exotic. Yeah. And they kind of take what they want from it. And then the men, like, they make fun of him and he doesn't know really what's going on. So, like, okay, well, now you're the butt of jokes. That's just how, like, every brown person on TV is. That's all you're going to be is you get made fun of and that's that's your role. 
and then eventually gets to the point where you're being scapegoated for something you didn't do. In this case, the robbery, he was adjacent to it. But it's like how any type of brown person was getting murdered on the streets after 9-11 because it's like, eh, you're kind of adjacent to it. And they're like, no, I just look like that. Like, whatever, <laughs> yeah. it's still your fault. Doesn't matter. And then it goes into the shunning from society, the blaming of everything, and just all around treated badly. And then once Edward does act out, when he's like tearing the curtains and actually does something bad, it's kind of looked at like, see, that's what those types do. Yes, yeah. And it's like, but you drove him to that point, right? Yeah. So that always... Uh, kind of rings true to me as a metaphor for that, but I don't think that's Tim Burton's intention at all. Well, I feel like that was a really good place to kind of wrap up. You've seen a few different Tim Burton, Johnny Depp ones now. I think so, Would yeah. you say this is your favorite one of those now? Um, I think it's up there for sure. Um, Probably, yeah. Actually, I'm going to say yes. It is my favorite Tim Burton, Johnny Depp movie. Yay. Yay. It doesn't have a lot of great competition, but eventually we're going to watch Ed Wood, which Mm. is my favorite Johnny Depp and Tim Burton collaboration. Mm. Well, stay tuned for that. Another thing we have to look forward to is the weather's changing, the leaves are falling off the tree, ghosts are freely walking down the street, and... Well, that's scary. Yeah, I know. I saw one the other day. (laughs) Terrifying. Okay. Ghost cat. Ghost cat? Are you sure it wasn't just regular cat? Oh, maybe. (laughs) Huh. But either way, it's going to be the spookiest time of the year and maybe my favorite time of year coming up. Oh, well, it's almost our anniversary. Yeah. Spooktacular is what we call it. Spookiversary. Spookiversary. (laughs) So it's for the month of October, we are going to be doing all sorts of spooky things. Samantha is going to have her spooky movie first, which I'm very interested to see what kind of horror movie you would pick that I haven't seen. We'll see. Uh, Maybe next week, let's talk about all of our favorite Halloween type movies. Okay. And we're going to do a little bonus episode in October as well. Uh, We're not going to tell you what it is yet, but alongside our regular releases, we're going to do a bonus review of a Halloween classic. And it's a classic that we've both seen. So we're changing the topic a little bit, but we'll talk a little bit about what we liked and what we didn't like in that movie. And then towards the end of the month, Indy will be doing his spooky pick. Yeah. Oh, I have a good one. You know how I kept saying that I've picked so many good good movies and so many movies that i think are fantastic but i've yet to show you one movie that i consider like in the top 10 best films ever made well then but my halloween one i'm gonna say top 10 best films ever made that's how confident i'm in this movie wow you're gonna love it you might not and that episode we're gonna get a little nostalgic and talk about our favorite halloween memories and moments sounds fun so if you want to write into us and yeah, let tell us, us know your favorite. Your favorite. And we'll read them um, throughout the October episodes. Um, you can email us at I love this, you should, and the number two at gmail.com. Oh, now I'm getting all excited for, Me too. I'm for very Halloween. Excited. Let's get ready. Let's okay. go. Although we are already getting ready. Yes, we are. We need more than a month to get ready for Halloween. It's true. We're big into it now. Yeah, costumes, big party. Yeah, we'll talk about that too. Yes, we will. Um, we're looking forward to doing five episodes instead of four during October and um, Spooktober. Spooktober, and bringing <laughs> you that creepy, crawly, scary podcasting that you love. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you can send us pictures of your favorite Halloween costumes. Maybe we'll feature you on social media. Um, At ILTYS and the number two on Twitter and Instagram. And I love this. You should two dash podcast on Facebook. Yeah, and extra points if you dress as one of us. Exactly. I've once seen someone dressed as me for Halloween. Unless they stalked our social media channels, they haven't seen what we look like. Uh, someone dressed as a character I played in a movie. Oh. And then I saw a picture of it. I wasn't even in the country, but I was like, That's so awesome. I've made it. I'm a Halloween costume. You're a Halloween costume. Yeah. I've never been a Halloween costume. Maybe I should dress as you this year. <laughs> Wine cheerleading. <laughs> See, look, I did it already. <laughs> there you go. Um, good job. Well, so- maybe we should just let them go. We're just getting silly now. Yeah, okay. All right, bye. See you in Spooktober. Super creepy. <laughs> I think I found the after the music drop. <laughs>